Next week, we begin our new series on Exodus called Off-Road. <clears throat> so we start that journey next week. Come and it'll be, a, it'll be a great time together. I have one correction to make before I start, and it was just drawn to my attention that there are two scripture references noted in your bulletin. One is Acts 2, 1 through 11, and the other is Colossians 3, 18. Somewhere in my mind, I transposed a number or two, and I didn't pick it up. It's supposed to be Colossians 3.11, which talks about uh, bond or free, male or female, we're all one in Christ. 3.18 says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. <laughs> That's like a whole different message, so we'll just... The question this week, the blockbuster question is, where can I belong? <clears throat> where can I belong? And the movie that we've connected with that is Freedom Writers. Freedom Writers is about gangs in a Long Beach high school in the early 1990s. But this is Pentecost Sunday. This is 50 days after Passover on the church calendar. This is a day for celebration because it's the birth of the, of the church. You say, how could those two groups even be related, gangs in Long Beach or this? Well, you've got people who are sort of marginalized. You have people who don't know what the future is holding. You have people who are just thrown in together. That's Pentecost and that's Long Beach High in the 1990s. But let's start with Acts, the second chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 2. It reads like this, <clears throat> because it's ultimately a story of birth and belonging. Where can I belong? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, Jesus has gone back to heaven. They've been waiting for 10 days, 120 people crammed in this space somewhere in Jerusalem. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is one of the big festivals. So Jews from around the Mediterranean basin and far out into the desert have come for this celebration. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken like their national language, not like Hebrew, their national language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans, like all from the same county? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We'll come back to that story in a couple of minutes. What is it about the idea of belonging that draws us so much? Why is belonging to a group or belonging to someone or to others, what's so intuitive about that? On the back of your bulletins, this is point one. To belong is one of the deepest needs of every person. To belong is one of the deepest needs of every person. Abraham Maslow, who was a psychologist back in the day, he had a thing called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all need food, we all need shelter. We, and lumped right in there is the need to belong, to be a part. Usually we think of family when we think of that. And uh, I come from a family called Foth, and there aren't very many Foths in the world. It's an old German name, I think, Swiss German, Foth, V-O-G-T, I think is the original. 
and Voth and Foth and so forth come from that, but there aren't very many of it. Now, my mom's side, they're Scots-Irish, they're Boyds, and they're, they're Boyds all, they're very prolific, but the Germans were not quite that prolific. And so Ruth and I were in Helena, Montana two weeks ago. I spoke at Helena First Assembly there, and early Monday morning, we're driving back down 287, Highway 287, our college avenue goes up through Helena, Montana. I didn't know that. We're driving down, and it's ranch country and farms, and I look over to my left, and here are some big semis in a ranch in a farmyard, and on the side of one of them, it says, Foth Farms. It was unbelievable. I think we got a picture. Foth Farms. And Ruth says, you've got to stop. And I slam on the brake, because this could be money. You know, and I just, I don't know. And I, and I pull in here, and here's this young guy. And I walk up and say, hi, are you the owner? He said, I am. My name's Matt Foth. I said, I'm Dick Foth. He said, really? I said, yes. I said, where are your people from? He said, Iowa. My people are from Kansas. And, you know, but we're probably 32nd cousins, four times removed or something. But, and he said, isn't it funny how people call us Foth? And I said, yes. Why don't they get it? They think it's moth and it's really both. Why do, what's the problem there? You know, so all of a sudden I have a kindred spirit. We're clicking on all cylinders here. Well, but when you don't have the family name, when you don't, when the social structures are scattered and shattered and hope goes away, what happens? In the film Freedom Riders, which has sort of raw language, so I don't commend the film particularly, but the book is, a, the story is a great one. In the early 1990s, Erin Gruel, who is a white suburban girl from Long Beach, from Newport Beach, California, which is just up the coast, or down the coast from Long Beach, she decides to be a freshman English teacher at Woodrow Wilson High in Long Beach, which is a gang-infested school, forced integration, and it's split along ethnic lines, four groups, Asians, Hispanics, blacks, and whites. And they are called Little Cambodia, Little Tijuana, The Ghetto, and Wonder Bread. I love that <laughs> Wonder Bread part. How do you cross the lines? How do, you, how do you bring hope and connect people who are killing each other, you know, by group, and sometimes even within the same group, there are tensions. Their mantra in this setting was protect your own. If you're Asian, these are your people. If you're black, these are your people. If you're white, these are your people. How do you get a deeper connection? Aaron Gruel, as part of this story, gets them to play a game called the line game, where they share relational history. Well, just watch. Remembering out loud, talking all at one time, remembering friends, Pentecost was all at one time, all out loud, declaring the wonders of God. And then Aaron Gruel gave them a new language called writing. And she said, I want you to write a diary. I want you to journal. And she said, it'll be an assignment, but I won't read them unless you say I can. I'll just flip through to see that you did the assignment, and you, we'll keep them over there, and I'll keep that place locked unless you tell me that I can look at it. And through the year, they began to identify with each other. Embryonic relationships started. And room 203, Woodrow Wilson High School, became a safe haven for these folks. And she introduced them to a bigger gang led by a fellow named Adolf Hitler and how that gang was going to take over the world. And somebody caught up in that violence was a young Dutch Jewish girl by the name of Anne Frank who kept a diary. And she had them read it. 
And they started seeing that the story was bigger than they were. It wasn't just their story, that, that it was a larger thing. And at the start of their junior year, she brought sparkling cider and little champagne glasses and said, we're going to toast the future. We're going we're to say no more are we victims, but we're going to be victors. And we're going to believe for tomorrow. And this happened. It's been well said that homelessness, homelessness happens when we run out of relationships. The ultimate belonging is coming home. So to belong, who is the core of who we are, and the question, where can I belong, is responded to, to me, on the day of Pentecost. This is Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost for a group of Jewish people, the most uncertain times in their lives. Here's this group of people who for the last three years have been walking with this fellow, Jesus of Nazareth, and they've seen unbelievable things. The way he speaks is with authority. When, when he touches people, they're healed. He raises people from the dead. They get, I mean, all kinds of things are going on. He showed them who they were and who he was and where he was going and where they were going. But the last two months, the last eight weeks have been crazy. I mean... Palm Sunday, we went with him into Jerusalem, and people are cheering and clapping and shouting Hosanna. And within five days, they're jeering, crucify, crucify. And then he's arrested and jailed and flogged and executed by the state, just bang, like that. And all is lost. And then, they, then three days later, he's back. It's a resurrection. It's a, great, it's a great day. It's like that game you used to play with the little ones, you know, little preschoolers where you hold a towel up in front of your face. You ever played that? And, and they think you've gone away, and then you go, boo, and they laugh, and then you hold, and then you go, boo, and they, they laugh. It doesn't work with teenagers, but little people, it, <laughs> it works big time. And then he comes back, and he's with them for six weeks. Listen to how it reads in Acts 1, 3 through 5. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. The root word is martyr there. You will give your lives in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the ascension happens. They're standing with him. Some of you have read this, and boom, he goes back to heaven. And now they're alone again. But the only instruction they have is to go to Jerusalem and wait. And I'm saying, what's that about? I mean, that's like the worst thing in the world to go and wait. I don't know about you, but I don't have the gift for waiting. And here they are, and they don't know how many days they're going to wait. It turns out to be 10 days. What do you do for 10 days? Well, it says that they prayed, but I've been in prayer meetings that were long. Prayer meet I've even fallen asleep in a few prayer meetings. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just telling you that it happens, okay? And God's not mad. He, but anyway, that's a whole other subject. But the, but the point is, I think... My fertile imagination, don't take this as Bible, but I think they started telling stories. I think just like when, when Aunt Susan died a year ago, and now we're back together as a family, we start telling stories about what fun she was when she came. And oh, Here we are, and we're telling stories, and people are saying, do you remember when he raised that little boy? Do you remember when that woman scrambled through the 
crowd and she'd been bleeding for all of her life and she touched the hem of his garment and he felt it and said, who touched me? I don't, everybody's jostling. You remember that part? Or somebody said, Peter, I remember when we were in the storm you know, out there in the boat and Jesus came walking on the water, scared you to death, but you tried to walk to him, took about four steps and down you went. And Peter's saying, hey, I didn't see anybody else getting out of the boat. You know, I, now I don't know if that happened, but I'm just telling you that it seems to me that's what would happen if I were in the group, okay? Stories from their mental diaries are being shared. They're talking to God, talking to each other, and then suddenly, high drama, because a birth is about to take place. All births are high drama. All births are big moments. I mean, it was just, we have four children, and uh, I played a different role in the hospital I, when... Some of you older guys, you remember, you're the bad guy, and they don't let you in. And so that first one, I'm wandering up and down the hall and stuff. And then by the time we got to the fourth one, which was 40 years ago, uh, you know, Lamaze was in. So now I'm in there holding Ruth's shoulders going, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, you know, it's saying. So you're part of it. But any birth is high drama. Why would we expect that the birth of the church of Jesus Christ was not high drama? Of course it was high drama, and it had wind and noise and flames like fire separating over their heads and foreign languages. And some of you have been in tornadoes, and people say, boy, it sounds like a train coming, or I've been in earthquakes, it sounds like a train coming. Well, these people wouldn't say it sounds like a train coming. There weren't any trains, but it was, this, it was this big sound in all these languages. I think it might have sounded something like this. Also hat Gott die Welt geliebt. And the church was born. The first squall of the baby church was people speaking in languages they hadn't learned in German 403. These are all people from Larimer County, I mean, no, the Galilee there, but all from one place. And the people who came around who were from these other countries who knew Hebrew or Aramaic, but they spoke this other language in North Africa or wherever they were from, they're saying, we hear in our own, in our own language. Now, what you just heard was five people, and they were speaking in Farsi, uh, Mandarin, Chinese, German, Russian, and Spanish, and they were saying John 3:16, for God so loved it, which these people wouldn't have spoken because that hadn't been written yet. But the point is that they were overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, literally empowered, filled up by the Holy Spirit, so much so that people looking on said, these guys are drunk. Whatever was going on, they were laughing and talking in these languages they had, praising God. That, they were praising God. And, and people looking and said, these guys are schnockered. These guys, they're drunk. They're three sheets to the wind, as they used to say. I mean, they would. And somebody says, no, no, no. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These aren't drunk. This is what the prophet Joel was talking about, is what, because Peter then stood up. Now, what's happening here is a new tribe is being born. Tribes are groups, according to sociologists, that are 20 to 150 people on average, bigger than a team, smaller than a nation. But these are groups of people. All of us are in tribes. We're employed in tribes. We have different tribes, different values in certain tribes. But tribes are the fabric of culture and society. They build societies. And a new tribe was born on the day of Pentecost 
Society, these are people who get the work done. These were ordinary people who became extraordinary by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just for Jews, not just for the local community. It was for the entire world. Point two, to be part of something supernatural is a gift. To be part of something supernatural is a gift. To pray and see miracles. To watch people change before our eyes when the Spirit of God touches their lives. That's power. Oftentimes at the end of a service, we'll invite people to join the tribe, if you will. Not by signing something, but by saying, I want to throw my life in with Jesus. And we'll offer new believers packets. They're over here on the sides or at the guest services. And uh, last night, a young man came up, tears in his eyes, and said, a year ago, I took one of those packets, gave my life to Jesus, and I started keeping a prayer list. And he said, I had this whole list of prayer requests, and every single one of those prayers has been answered except one in the last year. When somebody is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, it's an obvious thing. Timberline Church is made up of people, this local congregation. And when we talk about the birth of the church, we're talking about Big C. We're talking about Church Universal, those folks who met last night in India, which was their day, and, you know, those, those people. That's what the church around the world is. We are broken people. All of us are broken, just in different places. We're broken people who have been, are being, and will be changed. Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, that was the old man. This is the new guy. That was the victim. This is the victor. When I was a young pastor at the University of Illinois, we would take university students twice a year to Mexico and uh, at Christmas and Easter. And we'd work in the barrios and play games with the kids and build stuff and all of that. The first town we went to was a town called Guaymas, Mexico in Sonora State over on the Gulf of California. It was a 2,000-mile trip one way from Urbana, Illinois in a bus. You get to know people on a bus when you travel 2,000 miles. All the inhibitors go down after about four hours. But the young man who was a pastor there, his name was Joel Quinones. Joel Quinones at 19 had been put in jail in California on 19 counts of everything from, from uh, armed robbery to kidnapping. They declared him criminally insane and put him in Vacaville, which is that institution in California. And then his last few years were in San Quentin. After 11 years, which is the equivalent of a life sentence in California, the authorities took him to the border of Mexico, threw him out, said, if you ever come back, we're going to throw away the key. His mother was a believer. She'd come to visit him in prison. And one year, he said, if your God is so great, why doesn't he get me out of here? Don't come back. So she just stayed home and prayed. When he was thrown back out of the country, he was at the end of himself, and he wandered into a little congregation, and there somebody one more time told him about Jesus, and he gave his life to Jesus. And when I met him, he was a pastor, this gentle, kind, compassionate guy. And he was building a city of refuge, a halfway house for prisoners in Mexico. And I saw him this one time, and pardon my Spanish accent, it's not great, but I just like to go there. He said, Dick, I got to tell you something. He said, I went to Ensenada just a few, a few months ago, and we had a television program, and, it's, and, and, and a psychiatrist and a businessman were interviewing me on this program. And I thought they were just going to talk about the Ciudad de Refugio, the city of refuge, but... But immediately, the psychiatrist said, okay, Kenyonis, tell us about this God you can't see, that you can't touch, that it's not real. And he said, boy, it 
took me back. And I, my knees are banging together on the table. And I said, Jesus, help me. And I said, mister, you don't know me. My name is Juan Quinones, and I grew up three blocks from here. I was a crazy man. They called me El Chango, the ape. He said, I smoked my first marijuana cigarette when I was seven. I robbed my first store when I was 10. I've spent 11 years in prison in California. And he said, and I met some people when I was at the end of myself, and they said, you follow Jesus. He turned your life inside out and make you a new guy. I did that, and my whole life has changed. He says, I am not the same guy as that guy called Del Chango. I'm a totally different man by the power of God. He said, mister, you want to touch the love of God? You want to know what's real? Here, touch me. He said, Dick, the telephone started ringing and ringing. He said, the program goes 28 minutes over. I guess they can do that in Sanada. But he said, the program goes, when you see somebody transformed by the power of God, you say, that guy just didn't make that up. That just wasn't a little switch in my head. It's something powerful that's happened. And Acts 2 is full of that. The first part of Acts 2 is high drama. Here you've got these people that speaking in languages they didn't learn in German 403. You've got Peter, who's a, a natural leader, but he's a flaky guy. I mean, he can't get it right. He says, I'll die for you, and then Jesus gets in trouble, and he splits and goes back to fishing, and you know the story. And, but he stands up, and the power of the Spirit is in him, and he preaches a three-minute message, and 3,000 people come to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. But you can't always live in the high drama. You can't have births every day at your house. You couldn't handle that. So the day-to-day -day stuff is captured in Acts 2.42 and following, where it says they met together daily for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, for the apostles' teaching, who is this Jesus, and for prayer. That was the fabric of the early church. That's how the Holy Spirit works day-to-day -day in people's lives when they care for each other and so forth. And you will have moments of high drama. You will see things like healings, and I believe you see healings and miracles and people's lives transformed. But 3,000 people found a place to belong that day. They were coming home. Point three, to be on an eternal mission with others is the ultimate belonging. To be on a mission with those you love is the ultimate belonging. About 10 years ago, I have a friend who was high in the Navy who came to me and said, Dick, have you ever been on an aircraft carrier? I said, yeah, I was on the USS Ranger when I was 17. It was birthed at Alameda Naval Air Station. And he said, no, 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 have you ever been on one at sea? I said, no. He said, you need to do that. I said, well, I do. And so three or four of my friends went down to Norfolk Naval Base in Virginia, and we got on a COD. Some of you who are Navy guys, you know this plane. It's a twin prop plane that flies material and people out to aircraft carriers while they're at sea. And we flew 100 miles off the coast of Virginia and landed on the deck of the USS George Washington at a, as 180 miles an hour. And you stop in two seconds. They throw that on that hook and it catches the line. I'm an honorary member of the Tailhook Society, which may or may not be good. But the, but the, but the point is, and you wear, you wear a helmet and a five-point harness and a life vest and a goggles to catch your eyeballs. And you know, that, <laughs> and we stayed overnight on board the USS George Washington and they were throwing planes off that ship all night, getting ready to, deployed to the Persian Gulf. And we talked to the admiral of the fleet and the captain, ate with the officers, talked to cooks in the kitchen. The fantastic thing about that day on that ship was that everybody from the highest, most powerful to the one who fed folks knew the mission. They knew the mission. The mission of the, of the young church and our mission is this. Therefore, go and make disciples, Matthew 28. 
19 and 20, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we say blood is thicker than water. That's an old saying, which means family ties are more than just casual relationships. It's, it's a little in the, in the category of protect your own, like at the Long Beach High School. But I would submit to you that spirit is thicker than blood. Some of us have family biological relationships that have been strained and aren't very good, and you feel closer to some people in this room than you feel to your own family because of this deep spirit connection. It's an instant bond in the person of Jesus. You can fly halfway around the world, get off, not understand the language, but you know that's a brother or a sister just by that connection. It's not just that we've gone through the same things or had similar pain like room 203 Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson High School, but we follow, trust, respect, and love the same person, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We discover that we love each other as we follow him. And Colossians 3.11 says it this way. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So I'm talking to Matt Foth, the potato farmer, up near Helena. And I said, Matt, how'd you get into the potato business? He said, oh, I didn't like high school very much, so sort of, I went to work. And I worked for this potato farmer down in Belgrade near Bozeman. And he taught me the business. And then I said, if I'm going to work this hard, I might as well have my own business. And he helped me start my own business, and I'm his competitor, and he helped me do it. He said he's a wonderful guy. I said, you know, I, I used to know a potato farmer in Belgrade. I'm, this guy, Bill was his name, and, and he was getting a master's in parasitology at the University of Illinois. And I said, what was his last name? He said, Skinner. I said, that's the guy, Bill Skinner. That's the guy. I married him and his wife 41 years ago at the University of Illinois. And he said, hang on. I think he's coming up here. And he gets on the phone and says, Bill, this guy is here. And 10 minutes later, this guy comes riding up in his car and hops out. And this is the guy, Bill Skinner. Hadn't seen him for 39 years. Had the same mustache, less hair, but the same guy. And he said, 39 years in the marriage, we're still doing good. We have a daughter who's a doctor in Iowa or someplace. Now, I'm connected to Matt Foth because we're blood kin, you know, 38 times removed or something. But in that instant, when Bill got out of the car, we were connected because spirit is thicker than blood. We are, we are connected in the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, the church was born. All kinds of us have been born into it. In Jesus Christ, I find a person, a family, a church, and I say to myself, what a place to belong. If I live to 90, I want to be a guy full of the Holy Spirit. If I live to 90, I want to be a guy that because of the Spirit of the Lord in me is magnetic in some way, and that when we're together, the draw is even greater. If I live to 90, I want to see more lives changed by the power of the Spirit. I want to see more miracles. I want to see more people walking together across racial and cultural lines. I want to see that because what a tremendous place to belong this is. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me in this moment? I have a question to ask. And those of you who have heard me speak, you know that I ask this question a lot. There are some of us sitting here today who say, you know, I've been on the edges of this Jesus thing, Dick. 
I like what I'm hearing. I feel a tug in my heart, but I've been, maybe, I'm, maybe I've been scared or I've been hurt by the church or some church. But I know that, that his place in his heart in Christ is where I need to be. And I want to be a belonger. I want to be part of this mission that's eternal. And I'd like to start the journey with Jesus today. If you're that person, I'd like to pray for you just in my closing prayer. But starting on my right, my far right, and your far left, if you just like to be included in that prayer, I'd like you just to slip your hand up and put it straight back down. Yes, sir, I see it. You can put your hand down. Yes, I see it. Yes, yes. Just put it up. Put it down. Yes, I see it. Yep. Coming across toward the center aisle, on my right, your left, just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Yes, I see it. Put your hand down. That's great. Coming across the aisle to my left and your right, just slip your hand up, put it right back down, say, I want to start. Yes, I see that. Yes, I see you. I see you, sir. Just put your hand right back down. Tremendous. My far left and your right, just raise it up wherever you are. Yes, I see you, sir. Yes. Waiting just a moment. I see you. Got you. Thanks. Father, thank you for these dear friends. You know them. I don't know them. You know everything they are that they have been, ever done, ever thought. And your heart is to invite them in to belong. Even as they're sitting there this morning, in their hearts, you folks just, just say this prayer with me in your heart. You can say it out loud later. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I don't want to be a victim any longer. I want to be a victor. I want to be in you. Take my past and scrub it. Thank you for giving me a future. Thank you for taking away my sin on the cross through Jesus. Raise me to new life like him. Thank you that I get to belong because you made a way. And you won't hold my past or my sin against me. I receive you this day and start my journey in Jesus' name. And everyone said. For those of you who raised your hands when I asked for a hand, I'd just like to say welcome to the tribe. Just like to say welcome to the family. We have a gift for you. It's this little packet that just sort of helps you get started there on either side of the platform out at guest services. Please pick one up on your way out. Our prayer team members are coming. Some of us have sat here this morning, even though we're excited and charged by, by the message and things that are going on, there's, there's been a heavy heart for some reason. You've got something going on at home or at work or things that, that you struggle with. Please come to the front when everybody else is leaving. Just spend a few moments. There are folks here who would love to pray with you and they're coming as I speak. And you'll just come down here and just take a moment, let them pray. Now for the benediction. As you go from this place today, I pray that you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, that wherever you are this week, that your spirit would be a magnet, that somehow people would say, what's different about you? Like you're different. I mean, things go crazy and you seem to be calm and whatever it is, wherever you go this week, it will be no accident because Jesus is with you. Go in his grace and in his peace. God bless you. The service begins.